Amen. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Joel. That was fun. Um, over the next three weeks, we're looking at Luke 15 together. Three stories, parables that Jesus told where things are lost and then they're found. We've picked these stories because they'll be familiar to many of us, especially our, our youngest, our children, as we're doing this all-age expression of church through summer. Um, we've got the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And that's kind of where we're going for the next three weeks. And I'm kicking us off with the lost sheep. But a bit about me. I'm James. I'm married to Lucy. And Joshua and Floria are our children. And um, we've just moved to Newcastle in January and started the role in January, moved in December. We're having so much fun making our home here in Newcastle. It's been great to get to know the church family. If we've not had a chance to say hi yet, we would love to get to know you and say hello. Do come and say hi. We'll be outside at the end with the refreshments. We'd love to get to know you. And if you're a guest or visitor listening online, maybe you're a student coming in September, um, we'd love to say hi to you. Do message us online. We'd love to say hello. Or if this is your first time here on Sunday, a big welcome to you. Um, we'd love to welcome you to this church family. So I'm looking at Luke 15. Let's get straight into the story, shall we? If you've got a Bible or on your phone, um, we're going to be looking at Luke 15. And then here's what I'm going to do. We're going to look at the silly sheep, verses 1 to 3. And then verses 4 to 7, we're going to look at the searching shepherd. So look out for those points as we break down this story. So let me read it now. The parable of the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the scene is set in this story. And we're to look at the beginning very quickly at obvious contrasts in verse 1, particularly of the characters. You've got the so-called bad people, the naughty ones, and they are sitting listening to Jesus. And then you've got the so-called good people, and they're in the back corners of the room. And I love this. It's described they are muttering. And it's this kind of reverse of characters, really. They're muttering, mumbling. I don't know you, but I was a little bit of a, a disruption in my um, class at school. I was one of those people who would, um, especially in high school, I'd get the results, but I'd certainly cause a nuisance in the class. Kind of like the class clown would often be in the parents' reports. For me, I was a mutterer, forever just trying to talk and things like that. So, um, it, But it's a surprise here in the contrast. It's the bad people so-called bad people who are sat listening to every word Jesus has to say. And the so-called good people are muttering, mumbling. And what kind of thing would they have been muttering? Well, these people can't work out why is Jesus spending time with the bad people. Actually, they don't even call them people. They don't even dignify them with that description. They say they're sinners. 
and tax collectors, so-called moral failures of the day, the ones whose lifestyle just does not marry with their expectation of spending time with those people. Why is Jesus not spending time with us? Surely, Jesus, those people are not worth your time. And it's the muttering of these Pharisees that triggers these three great parables that we're going to look at throughout the summer. So I've got a story, and it's of the Habsburg emperors. If you're familiar with history, you're going to love this. Children, if you love Disney, you're also going to love this. I want you to imagine a great big castle. Now, these emperors, when they died, they were buried in the Capuchin Monastery in Vienna. And this royal family had been incredibly powerful throughout Europe for over 600 years. And when the time came for the funeral of Emperor Franz Joseph of Austria in 1916, there was this grand procession through Vienna carrying his coffin to the imperial crypt. And just outside the monastery, there is this great, big, huge iron door. And the grand procession halted just outside. And the herald began to knock on the door, shouting, open. And on the other side of the door, there was an abbot. And the abbot replied, who is knocking? And the herald, who was knocking on behalf of the emperor, responded, I am Franz Joseph, Emperor of Austria, King of Hungary. We don't know you, shouted the abbot. The herald knocked again on the door, the great big iron door. And once again, the abbot responded from behind the closed door, who's knocking? Off we go again. I am Franz Joseph, Emperor of Austria, King of Hungary, Bohemia, Galatia, Dalmatia, Grand Duke of Transylvania, Margrave of Moravia, continuing to list the emperor's impressive 37 titles. And at the conclusion of the long list of the titles, the abbot responded, we still don't know you. At this point, the herald fell on his knees. Now, this had all been scripted beforehand and choreographed by the emperor himself ahead of his funeral. And in the front of the masses gathered, the herald fell to his knees and said, I'm Franz Joseph, a poor sinner, humbly begging for God's mercy. Enter then, the abbot responded, and the doors of the monastery swung wide open. What a statement. The message is clear. Franz Joseph wanted to make sure that all of the people of Austria understood the heart of the Christian faith, the heart of what we have here in Luke 15, particularly verse 2, four words that would have shocked the religious elite of the day. Verse 2, look at this with me, four words. This man welcomes sinners. The only way to have the gates of heaven open to you and to me is to confess that we're sinners in need of saving and we cry out for the mercy of God. Do we see this in the story that we've read out loud today? Would you look at it with me? Hold it in front of you if you can. I'm going to read verse 3 and 4 now as Jesus tells this parable of the lost sheep. Jesus said, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it. 
And so this sounds reasonable. We can see where the story is going. Yes, of course, it's going to happen that way. Hang on a minute. What is happening in this story? Doesn't anybody ask the obvious question? He's got a hundred sheep and he's lost one pity. But shouldn't he be looking after the 99? Shouldn't he guard his assets and look after what he has, not what he has not? Is the lost sheep really that valuable to the shepherd? Risking the 99 for this silly sheep, pity, but he's not worth it, surely. Well, that's just the verdict of the Pharisees in this story and the teachers of the law. They say the tax collectors and the sinners, surely they're not worth your time, Jesus. The shepherd does not think so. He gets up and he goes looking. Verse five. I'm going to make one more point and then I'll finish about the searching shepherd, which tells us truly how valuable we are in the eyes of God. Verse five, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. When it came to the coffee break or the drinks after work in the pub with his friends or maybe in the playground or in the park with those that you know and love, All that the shepherd could talk about was his lost sheep. For a moment, I thought I'd lost my sheep. The silly old thing was in a ditch. It got its head caught in a hole or a whatever, a fence. Or if you've watched Clarkson's Farm, something. They just get lost everywhere. But he is home again. And God is just like this shepherd. He risks everything for the lost. And Jesus is just like this too. Jesus' very words said, I've come to seek and save the lost. I have come to call sinners and not the righteous to repentance. In other words, I have come for those that cannot for themselves, not those that have the can-do mentality. Thank you very much. And that is a picture of grace. You see, a sheep is a silly old animal. And apparently they get lost left, right and centre. And the thing about sheep is when you find them, they won't even follow you home. And it takes a shepherd to pick them up and to lead them almost forcefully home, to carry them home. The thing about a sheep is it can't save itself. There is nothing a sheep can contribute to its salvation. Or as we've regularly said from the frontier, if the penny hasn't dropped yet, the only thing that a sheep can contribute to its salvation is its lostness. Everything else in terms of the rescue of God has to come from God himself. He picks up the sheep. He rescues the sheep. He has to go home for the sheep. In other words, when it comes to our saving faith, we need a saviour from start to finish. We need somebody who will do everything that we should do, who will live the life we should have lived, who would have died the death that we should have died and will bring us all the way home, not just to give us signposts in a religious text to say live this way and perform this way and best of luck and I hope to see you at the very end. That's just not good enough. 
We need someone who will rescue us from the ditch and bring us all the way home. And the thing about God's house, it's full of people just like that. Not like the Pharisees who are polished and all together, but sheep that have been rescued, cleaned up and restored to the family. And that is the story of the entire Bible. The Bible really is a story of God searching for you. And for me, in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve go missing after they first sin, God's very words at the beginning of the book are, where are you? In two weeks' time, we'll hear the story of the prodigal son, the lost son, taught to us here in church. And the father goes looking and says, where are you? And next week, as we look at the lost coin, the woman will not stop looking until she finds the coin. Our sense of worth in this life does not come from the opinion of those who consider themselves better than us, muttering away in the corners about if God should spend time with us at all. Our sense of value in this life comes from the shepherd who risked everything to go looking for you and for me. It's his consuming passion to pursue the lost of this world. He so loves us. He misses us when we're not there. He seeks us and comes to find us. He carries us home. And he rejoices over us when he finds us. Verse 7. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who do not need to repent. I'm going to pray for us now. Can I invite Alicia back up and we'll finish with this simple prayer. And I was going to pray for us in two simple ways really today. And um, it's about praying into that sense of worth. That we wouldn't find it in the mutterings of those who stand in corners and describe us to God. But that we'd find it in the one who made us. And also if you've got that sense of you wanting to come home once being lost and then found, it would be a disservice to talk about that and not offer that invitation in the form of a prayer. If you want to be found by God, and of course, it takes a miracle of heaven to realise God's been looking for us, that I'm a sinner in need of a saviour, a lost sheep who needs to be carried home, then I'd love to pray for, for those of us too. So let me pray for those two things now. First of all, that our self-worth would be found from our maker. Thank you, God, that as we sang in that song written by Luke Porter, you never stop loving us. You search for us because you so love us. Not that we've earned or deserved your love, but just because you love us so much. And Father, help us today to realise that we are brought home would we see ourselves as you see us infinitely valuable so worthy of your time pray that in Jesus name Amen and finally as the Bible described we're all like sheep that have gone astray we have all turned to our own way and if you feel today that you're stuck in a ditch and you'd love to be home with God and God is calling you You've just realised, actually, God so loves me. 
let me pray too. Lord, we pray for the lost. And would we be found today? And as Franz Joseph prayed in that story that we opened with, Lord, my resume doesn't impress you, but we humbly cry out for mercy. Bring us home. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to worship now. And then Adam and Joel will lead us on.